Welcome to Radical Embodiment, the podcast where we challenge societal norms and redefine what it means to be fully present in our bodies. I'm your host, Emily Wishall. I am an embodiment coach, certified rolfer, and author of the book, Radical Embodiment, a practical guide to celebrating the skin you're in. Living a radically embodied life means making a consistent, courageous, and intentional choice each and every day to truly be in our bodies. It's about reclaiming our power, breaking free from harmful narratives, and cultivating a deep connection with ourselves. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce you to season five's lineup of guests. In the upcoming 12 episodes, you'll have the opportunity to listen to insightful interviews with friends, teachers, colleagues, and experts in the fields of movement, fascia, and the body. Each episode offers a diverse range of perspectives and a wealth of knowledge for you to immerse yourself in. I hope you find these interviews as enlightening and inspiring to listen to as I did when I was recording them. Hi everyone, it's Emily Wishall. I am the host of Radical Embodiment and this is season five of the podcast. And in today's episode, I'm bringing you Leah Woods. We just finished the interview and I'm walking away from our conversation just feeling deeply touched and inspired and connected. Um, Leah and I met earlier this year and this summer in June, 2024, doing a floor flow teacher training with Marlo Fiskin. So we were in a little awesome movement segment already. And she is just one of those humans who you just immediately feel a connection and desire to be around. She's just, I mean, this genuinely gracious, kind, humble, and accepting. Um, Leah is a movement artist and teacher who is passionate about accessibility, creativity, and community. She holds an MFA in dance and performance from the University of Colorado, where she received her secondary emphasis in somatics for her studies in the Alexander Technique, the Feldenkrais Technique, and body-mind centering. She grew up studying West African um, dance, flamenco, and Middle Eastern dance. And then she attended Mills College in Oakland, where she studied dance as an undergrad. She's enjoyed an extensive performance career for over 11 years in the San Francisco Bay Area, where she performed, taught fitness, and yoga professionally. Uh, she now is, studies, lives, teaches, offers incredible um, gyrotonic classes and more in, in Boulder and in Denver. And she's passionate about health, wellness, and longevity. Um, so this conversation is, I think it's just really informative. Leah has a lot of knowledge and positive, important perspective to share when it comes to movement, when it comes to leadership, uh, when it comes to how we orient in our bodies. So um, I hope that you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Here I am with Leah Woods. Um, Leah, I'm excited to have you here. And we are, of course, uh, we, you know, we were always just chatting before this, but I'm really, it feels like an like exciting, bubbly honor to kind of dive in deeper into embodiment and movement with you. Because um, my experience of you is you're just this like generous, welcoming human who she helped me learn how to do this back roll I was struggling with, <laughs> but in such like a just gracious, awesome way. So yeah, I'm excited to be here, Emily. Thanks for the invite. I've been, um, been thinking about it and excited to dig in with you. So we start with this question that you've already told me. It's like, Ooh, this is a big question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it is, it is, um, what embodiment means to you? Yeah, I've been sitting with this one and it's interesting. We talk a lot about in the dance world, how, how dancers are taught to speak so well with their bodies, but often are missing the verbal bit. And we just had a really beautiful teacher in town who's talking about the importance of embodied people or people in dance professions or, you know, to, to learn to articulate these things. So what a beautiful challenge. Um, yeah. It came up as twofold for me. So mm -hmm. there's kind of the meta, like, how do I embody values? How do I 
live out values and, and cultural practices or beliefs? How does that enact in the world and manifest in the world? And then how, um, what does it look like personally? What is the experience of being embodied? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were chatting a little bit before this started, but I think for me, embodiment is about, uh, personhood. It's about Mm -hmm. being subject, um, we think a lot about in um, like the performance theory space and if theory is murky, we can, we can definitely depart, but Cartesian dualism was this really big movement in, in um, European philosophy. And that was the idea that the mind and the body are separate and the mind is better than the body. It's more holy and pure and the body is, you know, dirty and less than, and gets the mind to meetings circa now um, and so I think a lot of embodiment to me is recollapsing because I think a lot of cultures and practices for a long time had those two spaces um, collapsed into one. And that was a construct that that lent itself to a lot of problematic and harmful ways of being in the world. I mean, not all of them, mm. but a good handful for sure. And so I think of embodiment as not that I have a body, but that I am a body. And that includes thinking, feeling, sensing images, um, soul, that it's, that there's this collapse of those layers that were piecemealed out by other constructs, but there's this big return to subject. Um, and I think we started to allude to this a little bit, but I think being female, um, biologically female and female identifying, Mm -hmm. um, I experienced so much of my developmental life as object is the body and subject Mm -hmm. is how I think privately or feel privately about that. Mm -hmm. And so embodiment has been about becoming subject in, in my body and having personhood and it being part of that and not something that can be seen or projected on externally, but something that I internally experience. Um, Yeah. That's where it kind of brought me. And then, and then I think about practices like capoeira and contact improv, where we are embodying through community practice, consent, explicit consent, Mm -hmm. um, sensation, feeling, um, feeling our perimeter, our edges through contact or through, um, game in space. And, and that these are ways we embody culturally values of saying each other's name at the beginning of a class. That's a political act to hear your, to say your name, to use your voice and have it said back to you, to consent to touch and have your consent or lack of consent respected as a practice and it's political. So I think about embodiment as meta and community practice and then this personhood and Mm. it's like reclaiming subject and the holistic subject. Uh, I don't know. That's where I got. (laughs) I love, I love it. And I would love to dive in and kind of Mm. decipher more specifically speaking to what you shared of kind of your own, I'm going to use the word evolution, but, you know, growing maturation in, in your body of experiencing yourself in your body as like object. And then your sense of self or your feelings, your emotions were subject. And then now how the subject gets to be your experience in your body. And I might not be languaging that, you know, correctly. So clarify, you know, clarify, however, but, um, can you speak more specifically on that of, um, if maybe there's a moment in time or a story that comes to mind or an example of like, Mm. how, how does that show up in, in a daily life? you know, experience or interaction with someone or in dance or in movement. That what comes to mind is sort of a recent example as a student experiencer. So there's like, I have a teaching identity and a learning identity and I love when they collapse too. That's even better. Um, But, and then I'm thinking about kind of my roots in movement and I'm thinking about, I'm a recent practitioner of capoeira. So probably the last year, year and a half, And I got my first belt in, I want to say May. Um, And Capoeira has been a really powerful journey for me for a lot of reasons. It's like helping me recover some old, um, certain corners of the dance world trauma, (laughs) but it's helping me reconnect to, you know, intergenerational 
movement practices. And it's also this really beautiful example of play, but also consensual violence and self-defense and self-agency and advocacy. And these are things that are a little bit um, fictitious for me. Like I, I think when I think of my young life, I come from a kind of unsteady household with domestic violence and my little nervous system having a lot of fear about um, violence mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of energy and humanity. So I'm thinking about a way that I've become subject is to be a small child and to have no real control over the situation and to kind of collapse identity with the people or the adults around you and whatever's going on with them. And then to perceive whatever's going on with them as having to do with you, their anger, their violence, their addiction as, as I must be wrong or bad. Yeah. And then as an adult to be back in situations where I am learning how to be in, in, um, I'm going to say contra relationship. So there's like collaborative and then there's like contradictory and, and there's beauty in that, but to stand and be self-defending and in relationship to kicks flying at you. And even mm-hmm. though it's a very kind and playful group of people, and they are really taking care of you, especially as a beginner, I'm still seeing places in my nervous system that are mm-hmm. really being impacted by that history in me. And so mm-hmm. to suddenly have skill and time and nuance and space to navigate it and to have agency and personhood and have a name that I speak and relationships to people and this ability to like tag in and consent to play. And then after, no matter what happens in a game to be able to high five and like have relationship and process with that person is like profound and powerful in ways that I didn't even realize I needed when I started, Mm -hmm. it just seemed pretty and cool and fun. Um, And so that's one example of this personhood that I'm finding now, Mm. which is just, oh, the ability to play with things like consent and self-defense and self-advocacy and taking up space and pushing somebody back, even if it's a game and it's playful, been really powerful for me to have that space. Um, And I'm also in contact improv land a bit. And there's a lot of work on consent and touch and maybe softer in some cases, although there's a lot of play with danger and surprise in, in that practice as well. But it's helping me, I think, as a people pleaser, which comes out of that same ethos, um, I always want to please. So being able to withdraw consent mm. is really powerful because for a long time it was like, I will because I don't want to make waves or I'll consent for the larger whole But to have permission to actually say, actually not today and have it not be a problem or be a bad student, but for it to be celebrated as another option in the space feels like Mm -hmm. powerful practice. Totally, definitely. Um, And I just want to reflect back also both of those examples you gave with a little bit of background from your childhood. Mm -hmm. It also like what incredible, you know, purposeful, intentional, not also just how it shows up ways to reprogram and heal some of that trauma, heal your nervous system in, in containers that are really safe and welcoming and that like that you can play and you can bow out at any time. And yeah. And safety is interesting because it also allows us to deal with dosage. So I think we can get, Mm. I don't know how to say this correctly. Like I'm going to fumble forward with language because I'm, Mm. this is an area of nuance I'm trying to understand, which is that there is a positive dosage of challenge or even the stuff, the physiological stuff that comes up. There's a positive supportive dosage that I can lean into and work through. And then there's a non-constructive dosage. And that's something that only the person can navigate, Mm -hmm. but that for a long time, I felt like it's complete avoidance of the thing. And actually in working in the chronic pain space and looking at neuroscience, like learning that, that a little bit of frustration or a little bit of uncertainty or a little bit of that, just the beginning feeling, and then to have it met in a way that it can ride to resolve. It's like really great proof to me that we can do all of the work individually for sure, but we need each other. And that actually relational work is really powerful and something that movement can really give us is mm-hmm. community and relationships to also do this work in, which means sometimes writing a very safe line that only you can navigate, but is also... Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that you have to deal with is just dosage. What's what's the right amount of tiptoeing in for me today? 
Yes. Yeah. I think about a lot as like titration even and yes. like titrating yes. experiences. And it's, it's not an area, all of this is not a black and white area. There's so many yeah. nuances and that's where yeah. I think it comes into self, not only self-regulation, but reading into maybe, oh, I, I went a little, I'm a little beyond yes. what's safe and okay for me. Yeah. Is, is there a way that I can come, come back that I can titrate back or, or lean out, or maybe like realizing like, okay, all of a sudden, like, no, I need to stop in these practices that you're speaking to. Oh, for sure. Like that, those and are spaces I'm sure you're able to, to do that in, which is incredible. <laughs> Some, yeah. yeah. Or I'm learning, you know, it's helping me learn. Sure. Oh, sure. this is like, I'm, I need to go regulate again, like yeah. self-regulate or, um, or co-regulate sometimes. I also think it's nonlinear. <laughs> like, like we're saying that every day is a little different and I'm always really surprised. Like I'll feel really great. And then who knows on a given day, like it'll just be different. And so that's beautiful that it's a real organic process, which isn't just scaling the trajectory, but it's like a real dance. Like mm. you're doing a dance, but you're also dancing this mm. personhood piece, which is really mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I think it, it, you know, I think that's how I kind of came into movement is I ended up in, in like kind of middle eastern west african and flamenco dance first which is not you not a very common entry point i think for movement but i specifically got super into dance in a program for at-risk teen youth teenage girls specifically that was called seeds which is mm -hmm. self-empowerment education and self-esteem through dance mm -hmm. um and i think about how the framing of that um, early introduction was really powerful because you have, you know, I, I walked through modern dance and ballet training spaces eventually as well. And the culture and the context and the kind of learning and the verticality, the like vertical hierarchy of certain learning spaces versus kind of horizontal learning spaces. Mm -hmm. like, but I, I just felt really lucky that my first really big role model was mm -hmm. this beautiful woman named Mira Crean, who is a philosopher, <laughs> witchy, uh, voluptuous, gorgeous Middle Eastern dancer who was just curvaceous and stunning and sensual and um, introduced us to dancing together. And then we would spend an hour dancing and then a half hour, an hour kind of in conversation about things like, what is beauty? And we're like teenage girls who are oh. going through peak objectification and home crises and like all of the things going on and, and we would sit in community with each other and try and grapple with these questions. And wow. I think about how lucky that was and how that's not all the spaces I've been in and, um, and, and how it gave me so much clear contrast between the different kinds of containers I've kind of encountered in movement and dance and yeah. And then what I, you know, what I hope to offer or what I value now, both as a student and a learner and, you know, um, fellow researcher of being alive in a body. What an incredible group. And that was your introduction to dance was through that group, through that program. Is that, am I understanding that? Yeah, right? I had done, I had done some, like I did West African dance on weekends outside of that group. There's like a big, um, it was like by a farmer's market and there's live music and we would go across the floor and it was like all ages, mama's carrying their babies, kids running around live drums. And then I learned a little bit of flamenco and like, there was some, she, this particular teacher brought in some like classical Indian dance influences here and there. Um, and then later I went off to college and like learned classical Western technique, but mm. I had started in these other technical forms and that's curious. Um, yeah, it was different. Um, and you know, yeah. I think, everything's got its thing, but I do feel really grateful that my introduction to dance was like, life was a boiling pot of chaos and like a garbage fire and an interpersonal nightmare. But dance was this little spot after school where I came, where the adults were sober, the adult was sober and the kids were present and we were not getting into trouble. And we were, we had somewhere to be with someone who was paying attention, who was present and who was trying to cultivate a sense of community for us and we were messy kids for sure but yeah. um but it was a really good intro and kind of I think 
probably one of the most powerful applications of dance or movement or embodiment practices is like how they help us interface with community and practice self and community. Mm. How to practice self in community. Yeah. Self yeah. and self in, I guess. Self both. and self in. Yeah. I wasn't sure yeah, what you said. about it. Me yeah. neither. I'm like, so yeah, I want to before going kind of deeper in, into the story, which I'm like loving to hear, um, is if you don't mind just kind of backing up and for anyone, if that, the languaging was new, um, kind of, you know, speaking to vertical leadership versus like horizontal leadership. Yeah. Great. And I, I'm still always learning about this, but vertical structure, I w- I would think I've had some teaching teachers and experiences as a learner of like, there is an overt person in control and power, and they are an absolute version of that power. And I think this can be well, um, you know, there, this can be wielded well too. Um, but I think it's, I'm the boss and I tell you what's important and when, and, you know, I, I kind of filter inf- information to you and I'll tell you what, what you need to know. It's kind of my impression of more vertical learning, kind of top down. And then horizontal learning, um, I think can think of it as more of like a feminist pedagogical structure or like a feminist teaching educational structure where mm-hmm. it has more to do with facilitating and trying to source the experiences of the people in the room or in the classroom or in the learning experience. So you offer something, but you take time and space, which is political to take time and space to have people reflect on their experience. And I think, um, and add their, their, their understanding, their process to ask questions, to help in some ways lead, um, the direction. So it's sourcing the room and what's happening and allowing people's voices to collaborate in that. Um, and less about you need to get here, by what we call end gaming in somatics, mm-hmm. we need to get to a handstand. There's an objective that we have to arrive at and more about prioritizing. How do I feel? And what am I sensing on the way? And then maybe I arrive there, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a result of, or it's a, an emergence we'll say of, me being in process, which is nonlinear and all these other things. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I want to say, or if I should say any more about this kind of horizontal idea in, in facilitation. Um, and I think, I think the trick is that everything is learning, including trying to facilitate these, these kinds of spaces is also an education and a learning and has to be porous and open and prioritize the humans in it over the system. Like I think about in education, Mm. like, um, I come from academia and it's very easy to prioritize the syllabus over the people coming in the room, looking wrecked mid semester who are tired and run down and human people. So it's this idea of like, is there some balance between the system we're in, but the people and how do we reprioritize the humaning? And yeah. I don't know, I, no answers, just this is the idea, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like an ongoing conversation, but it feels such an important conversation. It seems like such an important inquiry for anyone who's facilitating, who's who's leading, who's guiding of just that, what you said, prioritizing the human over like prioritizing the system or that in game, or this is where we have to get... And even as you're speaking, I feel in my own, in my own body, such a different resonance in those two distinctions um, where I like soften when I'm like, oh, like me as a human involved, or if I were teaching like, yeah. oh, like getting to like the, the humans are helping to evoke what's being elicited or what's where, where, where we're going. Yeah. And it means it's more messy. <laughs> Usually it means yeah. that there's a certain amount of like dropping the urge to get somewhere and sometimes going like, but here's where we are. Yeah, it is. And you feel like, Oh, and then are people going to value it if we don't arrive at a thing too, because then we have all these value systems. So it feels like confronting a lot of edges at once and Mm -hmm. it's, it's messy and imperfect, but so are people and 
it's an experiment. So that's, that's a lot of the spaces I'm interested in now is like, Hmm, how do we people while we also try and learn a new skill? Cause it's good for our brain or, you know, um, and then how do we frame learning a new skill? Not as I can't do it. I'm failing, but look at my brain and a new thing. That's so interesting how a brain learns a new thing. Mm-hmm. I can, yeah. How do we get curious about learning and not, can I do it by the end of one class or even 10 classes? Like, can I, yeah. Feel. Stay in the, yeah. 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 Which and, is ongoing. It's not like, okay, now I'm yeah. feeling always. It's like, yeah. at least for me, I'm like constantly like reminding myself because my brain likes yeah. to go in, which my brain's amazing. And also like, yeah, judging or this or this or that, or yes. tracking in a way that, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, we had this lovely guest and we've been talking a lot about what comes up in physical practice and she calls it times. I I'm going to try and remember, but it's thoughts, images, memories, emotions, sensations, and impulses. But the idea is I'm doing something that's difficult, maybe in a yoga class. I don't know if people have ever experienced this, but you're in a very difficult pose maybe, and you start to feel the difficulty. And then right away, I start my thoughts. This is my process. I'll just speak to what happens Mm. for me. This is really hard. I wish I was more flexible. And then I have an image of what I think it should be. And then I start to have a memory about another time that I felt like I wasn't good enough. And then I start feeling not good enough because my emotions cascading. And then I'm like kind of separating from my sensations. And so the, this really beautiful physiological practice happens, our process happens in practice, which is to watch sort of how we dissociate or how we escape a hard thing or moment or or, you know, how, how we have maybe more adequately to say like brilliantly engineered ways of dealing with things in our life. Like we found, we found habits that have served us in the past. Like I will just leave into thought (laughs) this hard, hard moment. So it's like learning is a really great opportunity to, to investigate the physiological thing, the ride that starts when something comes up for us and then just go, Oh, how quickly can I shake off the physiological thing or not? And that's okay too. Yeah. Anyways, I'll park, I'll, park, I'll park that, but it just- Well, that's a great there. thing to, to, to name and, and decide, right? Because I, I think that I would imagine most folks can relate to that in some experience, especially learning a new school skill or being in movement. And and it's so good for us all to continually talk about it because it's like, you're not alone in that. That doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're not there yet or you're not confident. It just is. It just is. It's just part of what happens. And I think the key is yeah. is. I love the the acronym because it's, I think that acronym can help just like name it quicker yes. to, to shake it off or, or to lean into it, whatever, but choice is available yeah. when you can name Absolutely. it. Hey, it's Emily. And I'm interrupting this episode to let you know about something special I created just for you. If you're eager to explore a deeper connection with your body and embark on an enriching embodiment journey, I invite you to explore my free Radical Embodiment Toolkit. Inside the toolkit, I share a collection of my favorite practices that have helped me to stay present, grounded, and confident while also nurturing the health of my fascia. This resource includes guided body-centered meditations, step-by-step instructions on tending to your body's needs, while infusing intention into your emotional and energetic processes, as well as a selection of must-read books for anyone on the embodiment path. I understand that adopting new habits and practices can feel overwhelming, especially when life is busy. So that's why I've designed the toolkit to guide you in gradually incorporating these practices into your life week by week ensuring that you won't be inundated with information all at once. So to get started, simply visit radicalembodiment.com forward slash embodiment toolkit and sign up to receive your free toolkit directly in your inbox today. So again, that's radicalembodiment.com forward slash embodiment toolkit. I will have that linked in the show notes. All you need to do is go there, sign up with your name and the toolkit will email directly to your inbox. So I hope you take advantage. I hope you enjoy, put a lot of time into this toolkit. And I think it's something that's going to continue to evolve and expand. So go get it, get the free radical embodiment toolkit today. And now back to the episode. 
And it's actually normal. Like that's what really blew my mind yeah. when I started to track. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is actually the normal thing. I'm physiologically designed to seek comfort and the, you know, and coziness and safety. And so it's great for me to grow, but in order to grow, it means I'm going to interface with this physiological process. And that's actually the sign that I'm in a growth place. And so it's just, you know, am I in the right threshold of that physiological response today? Or is it a little too much? Again, it's the dosage thing. Yeah. Maybe I want to put on a cozy sweater while I dive in. (laughs) Maybe today is for rest and maybe tomorrow is for writing the, you know, these are the the Mm -hmm. negotiations, but maybe, maybe today I feel ready to play with my physiological learning process. And maybe some days it's like, I've been out there working up in the end stages of capitalism. So I'm going to rest and that's cool. For you to kind of share Leah, your, your journey through, you know, from coming from, you know, Middle Eastern African dance and then, you know, entering university, going to college and studying more Western dance, in, which I'm imagining is a little more s- static. I mean, I, I don't have a dancing background, so that could be very wrong or rigid or structured, but I am, yeah, really curious of your journey and let's segue and how that was and, and what came up for you in that process. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what was really interesting is I had this really sensuous teacher and then I moved to the Bay area to pursue education and to dance. And then I started, you know, at a certain point I was dancing in nightclubs for a living, like, and so I think that was also this really weird trajectory of this, like object versus subject process. So I just mm. drop that in there to go like, it's been back and forth and all around, um, nonlinear, but I, um, I moved out to the Bay area and I wanted to dance professionally and was studying with a woman named Suhaila Salampur in East Bay. And then also trying to pursue ballet and modern and get like at the time. And I want to name that I feel very differently about this now. And I think very differently about this now, but I'm just going to name the framework I had in my mind at the time, which is I was going to go get real technical training. And now having, you know, kind of dissected a lot of that, I can really feel how problematic it is to imagine that only ballet and modern Western Eurocentric Europeanist forms would be real. I think that's something that really needs to get unpacked and talked about more. Middle Eastern dance is a deeply powerful and real technique as is West African dance. It was Ghanaian as there are all these forms, they're all equally valid and very important. So just to name Mm -hmm. that at the time I thought I, you know, that was what I thought I was doing. I was going to go get real technique. And I've gotten to deconstruct that many times over now, but I went to school. I, um, kind of skip like the overly complex version for something a little more trackable, but went and got, um, studied dance at Mills college in Oakland and they had Cunningham and Paul Taylor and ballet technique. And I was studying in San Francisco with my teacher, Augusta Moore and, um, kind of, in my early twenties and dance can be a space that has historically been very body shaming. And I was never a long lean, typical dance body. I will say I like, I think George Balanchine, the choreographer had a habit of measuring that people had small heads and long necks and short torsos and long limbs and like literally measured people's bodies. So walked into a space where I felt that pressure all of a sudden of, Mm -hmm. Oh, I've been in these spaces that are, not measuring anyone that's for sure and even I would say Middle Eastern dance has a they like jiggle like there's a there's a vibratory quality to the body that is part of the movement part of the movement Mm -hmm. quality and part of its relationship to music so that was my you know first home and so then to suddenly be in ballet and standing in front of a mirror and like ton doing which is a beautiful practice but I definitely objectified myself. Like I remember standing back and just looking at a mirror version of myself and trying to be a shape in space Mm. and trying to perfect the shape in space. I think there's beautiful somatic approaches to ballet. That's not what I was doing in my early twenties. Um, and got a lot out of, um, modern and postmodern dance and, um, got little seeds planted in my brain, but then continued to dance through my twenties and like, um, nightclubs and perform and have my midriff showing and like definitely had this really interesting tug of war between like the beautiful sensuous roots of this dance form that I was really 
trying to study in earnest and then what it was to be a woman in spaces being looked at and you know where money was tipped into a belt <laughs> um and and all of the cultural negotiations around that which is a whole nother podcast we could talk about identity politics and the Middle East and the history of how that all came over and perception. But for intensive purposes of keeping it here, I just think I oscillated back and forth between going to modern and ballet and street dance rehearsals and classes, and then being in Middle Eastern dance and in these costumes and um, really feel like I was in this like object subject tug of war, often in object land danced in the Bay area for 11 years and then moved to Colorado in 2015 to pursue my master's in dance and really got the opportunity. I really studied like dance and culture. It's really interested in like dance ethnography and then somatics. And so that was a really great place to go. Huh? This is really interesting. Like there's, um, really different ideas of a pelvis, depending on what kind of dance form you're doing. The pelvis functions really differently in West African than in ballet, than in Pilates, than in mm. Mapuka, uh, than in Middle Eastern dance, and just started to really notice all of the cultural values and coding that goes into the body and how it's super um, culturally dependent and not at all consistent across different places and and then also got some deeper learning and somatics and dropping in and really getting into the sensation part of things. Yeah. Let's go there. Let's go into (laughs) the somatic sensations as you dropped into that. Um, Mm -hmm. Like love, like this vast, (laughs) you know, spectrum. Yeah. Of of movement and dance you've had. And yeah. To, to go from all of that and then start, you know, as you're going into your master's, studying the somatics, getting into the sensation and then like, with, yeah. not that you weren't in your body before, but like, I would imagine experiencing movement in your body in a newer, different way. Sure. Is that true? Sure. Or maybe the emphasis in a different way? Oh, for sure. How did you notice then that like shift your orientation to yourself or shift your orientation to your body? Say if you were dancing in front of a mirror um, and again, not making... Mm-hmm one right or wrong as far as like body as subject or object, but kind of the, the, the dance, the duality between the two. Yeah. I will say in my twenties, I was also working in the fitness space. So there was this whole other, like teaching fitness all day for like getting overuse injuries for being in fitness spaces and also being a different kind of body than a lot of the other people teaching in that space. And just like tracking all that. So then when I got to graduate school land and was really thinking about culture and values and how that shows up in forms um and then doing somatics things like gyrotonics that don't have mirrors and things like feldenkrais mm. and alexander technique which are really about proprioception mm. in space like can i feel myself in space can i mm. be holistic in the sense can i feel my feet on the floor and can i mm. have a relationship between that and the top of me and that takes you so far out of a mirror and mm-hmm. size and whatever you're doing you know like You know, I I think about some of the things that came up in the fitness space I was in, some of the things that I heard other teachers say about Mm. wearing white linen before labor, like whatever things about working out that like, now I just think, whew. So wait, and they were saying in the fitness space, don't wear white linen before labor. Oh no. They were saying, if you want to be able to, then you better do 20 more of this or, you know, that's what gave you permission to wear white before labor. Yeah. Like you had to work all of this, like really problematic fitness framing. And I knew it. Like, I remember walking through that space and being like, this is such a weird world. I'm here for a paycheck and like to move my body during the day and to support my dance, but that, you know, to suddenly get to be in a somatic space mm-hmm. where we just feel or like curious about my cells, like to get to the level of curiosity about my cells and sensation and the relationship yeah. between the different parts of me to one whole. Like there's these really beautiful metaphors and somatic about like all of the different organs and cells, they collaborate on this really, on this really egalitarian homeostasis. They like, they all serve a very different function. They can't be the same, but they come together as a whole to create this really beautiful ecosystem. And, you know, just getting into the the imagery um, sensitivity, it's powerful compared so to that different. other space. 
I even just feel, I'm imagining he felt a huge sense of relief. And I, I found for sure. And I just kept feeling like my own interests in teaching and dancing got farther and farther away mm. from, from certain things. Like, you know, I think about things like Gaga where there's no mirrors and contact improv, there's no mirrors and Capoeira, there's no mirrors. And I just, I feel like I went from, and I love Middle Eastern dance was my first home and I will always love her. And I have so much deep appreciation. Um, and I just felt like I started to just really appreciate all of the different, um, all of the different messaging from all the different places. And like, it almost felt like, can it point us a little closer to what a home is or some idea of it? And, Mm -hmm. um, I went to this great program where they were like breaking ballet, modern, middle Eastern contact improv equally valid and important. And you'll take all of it. Mm. Um, and you'll take somatics. So I feel like I, I emerged from that program and with a lot of the like lens on cultural studies and ethnography mm. and, um, and specifically performance studies, which is really interesting. It just looks at, you know, I kind of got obsessed with the cipher and that's kind of a metaphor for kind of how I emerged, I think, which is, you know, Western performance often had, you know, it it's emulated, the hierarchy is kind of emulated in the stage. You have this platform and then you have a slanted stage and people can have access based on what tier of ticket they can afford to see. You have different proximity to the art. And I just kept thinking about folk dance, which is like everybody that I've ever heard of has a folk dance, except for, I don't know about um, the Amish. I don't, I don't know if they have folk dance, but, but every culture other than that, that I can think of had a folk dance that came out of it. And all of them were for all humans. Most of them happened in a circle, which automatically has a certain kind of egalitarian inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I got really nerdy about things like how my cells are moving and how do we physically gather in space? Like, what does it say when we stand in a circle versus when Mm -hmm. the stage is slanted? And what does it mean when the teacher stands at the front of the class says one thing or when they sit in a circle and talk to you. So I don't know if that got too unlinear, but I feel like it was just a pressure cooker of like deconstructing a lot of things for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think all of that is definitely trackable um, yeah. and, and good and like yeah. and, and juicy. And there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. And I feel like we could continue this conversation for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I want to ask and kind of go into is I'm just genuinely curious. And I think it would be also a value to, to listeners of like, what has you feeling most alive in, in the movement space right now? And that could be like in your own movement practice or what you're seeing in the shift and in, in movement spaces. Um, but like, what's feeling most alive for you? This quality of research, I think for a really long time, I thought about like, almost like consuming movement. Like I need to go out and learn the moves from here, from there, or, and I really love this reframe that I think is big in Europe and is kind of catching on here, but it's alive in things like contact improvisation to a certain extent and forms like Gaga, which is from Israel. And it's like an improvisation class with no mirrors and just embodied improvisation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'm really interested in this research because it's, I spent my whole life trying to train to be in people's pieces and be wanted and to be able to audition. And I remember looking around in my early life and trying to see if there were other bodies like mine in the spaces that I was in, like if I was likely to get certain auditions based on that. And now I'm 37. And so often um, there's mostly people in their twenties in a lot of dance spaces that depends on the dance space. But now I find myself looking around and going like, I'm happy to be here in my body as who I am at my age to give permission to whoever needs it. Like Mm. see that as a function of being in the room now is like, great. Well, like by being here, someone can look around and be like, I have a, butt. I'm allowed to be here. Like hopefully. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think what's the most alive for me, this quality of research, what it's really given me for the first time in my life is, um, I'm just training to be myself. I don't have to train to be in anyone's piece or choreography or, or I don't, you know, I don't need anyone, anything from anyone anymore. So I get to just 
trained to be who I want to be and move how I want to move. And that's radical. I think that happened because I had a really bad accident in 2019, right before COVID. And um, I ended up like bedridden for like a year, year and a half. I had six surgeries. I wasn't going to walk anymore. I totally retired from dance and like grieved Mm. it out of my body for a year. Mm. But it was actually this really big gift because once I did eventually rehab it, three years, like three years long. And all of a sudden I had this really deep and radical permission to be like, Oh, I was told I'd never be here anyway. So I don't owe anybody anything. Mm. And I get to just be me now. I get to train to be me and explore to be me. So this quality of research is like this permission to just really utilize whatever is being dropped into the space by facilitator to to imbue me with whatever makes me more um, connected to my own curiosity. Like that's been really powerful to just research myself, you know? Yeah. I love that. That's incredible. And yeah, like, I I think that, I mean, I, I, myself can like take a lot from that of like, yeah, just moving in a way to know myself more, to be more of me is not that there's an end goal, but like, is such a, wow, what an, what a place to get to be. How fun, like how never ending and how, mm-hmm. yeah, that feels like exciting to me. So I feel I that also, you're like, yeah. I used to think too, like, oh, you know, the best, like, I, I remember being in my twenties and thinking the best job is with this company or like trying to get that. And I'm like, very convinced that the best the people who have it best in the whole dance world are the people who are training to be themselves. You're having the best time. I can't tell you how many interesting mm-hmm. exploitative contracts and situations there are. Mm-hmm. And there's something actually truly magical about being in a space where your pursuit of dance is for you. It's cool. It's very cool. Very magical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to kind of of bring our conversation to, to a closure, I want to ask you, um, and maybe you, you have a thought to this or whatever comes to mind, like a suggestion or practice that you have for somebody who, you know, wants to on a more daily basis, live more embodiedly and, and make that radical choice to like choose to be in their body. Yeah. Oh man. It's such a personal journey. The first thing that mm-hmm. kind of came up for me, and I realized that this is kind of a challenging answer maybe in some ways, um, but is to find a community that holds containers that make you feel safe to dose, play with dosage of whatever it is you're working through that mm-hmm. make you feel like you have permission to human mm-hmm. and help you on the days you're feeling up to it go through your physiological reactions to trying new things or being asked of new challenges. And on other days, just pay you total and complete respect and mm-hmm. hold you in needing a different thing that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a long time, I had a lot, I had a lot of individual pursuits in movement. And I really think, you know, the, the lineage I'm in now with kind of the movement culture movement, I'll say is there's many things there. <laughs> There's much to be mined and healed there. But one thing I really liked about the idea of the person who kind of headed it off, his name's Ido Portal. Now there's many other kind of directions from that community and investigations happening. But said he said, you know, moving in community, like, you know, what one of the things we don't have now is a sense of interdependence and community. And I think maybe community is something you also dose up to sometimes, depending, like it can be a lot to show yourself. I had a powerful professor of mine that I still think about this all the time. She always said, allow yourself to see and be seen, to see others and be seen by others. And that's such a deep, powerful vulnerability practice, especially if you add something like improvisation or (laughs) moving into it. So it's no small ask. And I really want to acknowledge that that's not little, that might be the biggest thing for anybody. is to really let yourself see and be seen. But my recommendation is to find spaces and containers where you feel enough trust to work through the stuff, the physiological stuff of learning and to really, really prioritize your sensation, especially if you, Mm -hmm. you know, are in circumstances where there's a lot 
I just think the more you can anchor to sensation and be in the, the sensory experience of your body, the more it can help when the mind and the thought stuff, which are great, they're supposed to be there. Um, there's an, there's a biological imperative for why, and we really respect that. But when you can come back to sensation, it can really help reground. So mm -hmm. sensation and, and community with healthy containers, I think easier Love said it. than done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think essential. So that's yeah. a great yeah. answer. Leah, I loved getting to listen and learn from you. So, so much juice um, mm. that you have to offer and just your deep level of presence is just a gift to, to get to be in connection with. And so where can folks who are listening, if they want to learn more about you, find you, mm -hmm. find ways of working or, you know, what you're up to, where can they go? Probably the best place is Instagram at the moment. Mm -hmm. I, I should probably work on that, but at the exact moment, uh, Instagram, I am at Leah Zia underscore movement. Mm -hmm. So that's L-E-A-H-Z-I-A underscore M-V-M-N-T. Mm -hmm. um, and you can always email me, um, just my last name, dot my first name at Gmail. Happy to have dialogues. I really, you know, enjoy conversation and dialogue and like to you know know what people are up to. I work with people in the chronic pain space, and then I teach movement classes to the the human population, which includes a lot of different things. But is you know I think the hidden curriculum of that, like you know, there's strength and mobility and cartwheels and whatever. But the actual thing we're teaching is moving in community mm. and how to learn, just having a process around learning. And then I teach gyrotonics. Um, mm. So people in chronic pain or who want to feel really good, like a movement massage. Um, mm. So yeah, that's probably the best. Amazing. And I'll link your Instagram so people can easily ah. find that in the show notes. Thank awesome. You. Thank you again. Um, and for everyone tuning in and listening and um, yeah, if you don't already, like seeing, playing around, experimenting with what communities of movement are in your area. Um, and really, I, I love that prioritizing sensation. And again, mm. yeah, easier said than done and like golden though. Mm. Like it is. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for listening. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this journey of radical embodiment. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to take a moment and leave a review for the Radical Embodiment podcast on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback and support are invaluable in spreading our message of self-acceptance and body positivity to a wider audience. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, stay courageous, stay intentional, and stay radically embodied.